Hello and welcome again to the Chemistry Made Simple podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Macario. This is the podcast where you get chemistry confident and ready for that A grade. So at this point, go and make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss any more episodes. Hello again, how are you? I hope you're doing really well. In this episode, we're going to be talking about intermolecular forces. In other words, the forces that act between one molecule and another. We're going to be using phrases you may have heard of, such as van der Waals forces, dipole-dipole forces, hydrogen bonding, and dipole moment. And to do that, we're going to first be clarifying what we mean by intermolecular forces. We'll talk about dipole moment and what that means. We'll talk about the order of the strength of attraction between van der Waals, dipole-dipole, and hydrogen bonding. Which of those is strongest? Which of those is weakest? Let's start by clarifying what we mean by intermolecular forces. So we're not talking about forces within a molecule. We're not talking about any actual formal bonds being formed. And we're not talking about any sharing or exchange of electrons today. We're talking about entirely an attraction between one molecule and another molecule without them sharing or exchanging any electrons. That's intermolecular forces. And we also need to define what we mean by dipole moment. So let's talk about dipoles first. The word dipole means two poles. And you may wish to refer back to the previous episode, which was talking about polarity in covalent bonds. So a bond like that has two poles. It has a delta plus end and a delta minus end. They have opposite poles, plus and minus. And although electrons are always on the move, they are at any instant the most likely to be towards the more electronegative atom. So at any instant, at any moment, we could see that there is a dipole. There is a delta positive and a delta negative end to that bond. But actually, it's not just an individual bond that we need to consider having a dipole moment. It's the whole molecule. So if the molecule is bigger than two atoms, we need to consider, does the molecule have a dipole overall? When we look at the molecule as a whole, does the molecule have a dipole, have a more positive area and a more negative area? The general rule of thumb is that if the, if the molecule is exactly symmetrical, it's not going to have an overall dipole moment. If the molecule isn't symmetrical, then it may have. And then we can also think about the dipole moment of atoms. So we might do this particularly with noble gas atoms. And why would we do so? Well, because the noble gases exist as single atoms. They don't bond with other atoms of their own type. And yet they do have melting points and boiling points above absolute zero. So there must be some attraction. And that is because those atoms can also have a dipole moment. So let's imagine a helium atoms to start with. An individual helium atom is of course neutral overall. There's no bonds to consider, so how can it have a dipole moment? Well, we know that atom has two protons in the nucleus, and it has two electrons in one shell. We might think we know the positions of those electrons in that shell, but actually the positions, the orbitals, are, as we've mentioned before, a function of probability. Most likely, they'll be nice and symmetrical around the nucleus, but not necessarily. In an individual atom, the electrons might be anywhere. So at a particular instance, both those electrons might be towards one side of the atom. 
meaning that the positive charge of the nucleus is more exposed and overall, for a moment, the atom has a positive and a negative area, a dipole. And because that's instantaneous, that it means it has a dipole moment. How does that have an attraction with other helium atoms? Well, because all those helium atoms will be going through the same thing. So at any moment, another helium atom nearby might also have a positive and negative. It might also have a dipole. And in fact, just because we do have a helium atom with a a more positive and negative end near another helium atom, that might induce a dipole in the other helium atom. The negative end, where the negative charge is momentarily concentrated, is near another helium atom. It may repel the electrons in that other helium atom away from it giving that atom a dipole too, and that might do the same for the next atom, and so on, and therefore there will be a level of attraction between those atoms. And the resulting force, the resulting attraction, is a van der Waals attraction. It's that weakest type of attraction. Let's state at this point that van der Waals forces are an attraction that occurs between all atoms and molecules. They don't have to have anything particular about them. They don't have to have a covalent bond or even any bond. They just work by momentary dipole moments. The van der Waals forces are based on the effect of instantaneous dipole moments that may in fact be very small and therefore that attraction is weak but definite. Van der Waals forces can occur between molecules as well that don't have a polar bond. So if you think about a chlorine molecule that has two chlorine atoms with a single covalent bond between them, those atoms both have exactly the same electronegativity. So overall, there's no polarity to that bond. So when we were talking about helium, we mentioned that electrons are always moving around. And it's not just helium's electrons, it's the electrons of all atoms, whether they are in a bond or not. So a chlorine molecule has this covalent bond with two electrons being shared, and those electrons will be moving around. At any given moment, there's potentially a dipole where the electrons are overall more towards one chlorine atom or the other. So there is a momentary delta plus and delta minus situation. And as we mentioned before, that can induce a dipole on adjacent chlorine molecules. And this is how we end up with some level of attraction between one Cl2 molecule and another and another and so on. Again, these are van der Waals forces, so they're fairly weak, but they are definite and they are stronger for for the chlorine molecule than they are for helium. Therefore, chlorine has a higher melting point and higher boiling point than helium does. That brings us on to talk about dipole-dipole bonding. So this is a similar situation, but it's where molecules with a covalent bond have a permanent dipole. In other words, there is a covalent bond with a delta plus and a delta minus permanently because the two atoms are different and therefore one has greater electronegativity than the other and will draw the electrons more towards it than they're drawn towards the other atom. So we could use hydrogen chloride, HCl, as an example. That's quite polar because chlorine is much more electronegative than the hydrogen atom, so the electrons will be drawn much more towards the chlorine atom. So there is a delta negative end, which is the chlorine, and a delta positive end, which is the hydrogen. Of course, the electrons are moving around, but overall, the dipole is pretty much always going to be in place, and therefore, the attraction between one HCl molecule and another and another 
is going to work on a similar basis to what we described for the chlorine molecule. It's going to be much stronger. The dipole-dipole intermolecular force is a much stronger force than we see for van der Waals forces. And it's worth saying that, that because we need a covalent bond with a permanent dipole, that dipole-dipole intermolecular forces can only occur between molecules, between molecules with a covalent bond. It can't happen with atoms, and it doesn't happen with ionic compounds either. Finally, we're going to talk about the strongest and most specialised form of intermolecular forces, and that is hydrogen bonding. So hydrogen bonding works in a similar way to dipole-dipole, although there are some differences too, which we'll discuss in a moment, and the attraction is much stronger than in most dipole-dipole interactions. Now, as you would imagine, for hydrogen bonding, we have to have hydrogen atoms present in a covalent molecule. And it also is the case that we have to have a very electronegative atom that it's attracted to. We only consider hydrogen bonding to be the case when hydrogen is bonded to an oxygen atom or a fluorine atom or a nitrogen atom. So what's happening that's making hydrogen bonding such a strong interaction? Let's use water as our example. So in water, we have a bond between a hydrogen and an oxygen. The oxygen is much more electronegative than the hydrogen, so it draws the electrons in that covalent bond very much towards itself. Hydrogen doesn't have any more electrons, so the hydrogen atom is effectively a very exposed proton, a a tiny point of positive charge, so it's got a very high charge density. The oxygen atom has two lone pairs of electrons in it, because that's part of its electron configuration. So what's happening between one water molecule and the next is that hydrogen, that that very delta plus hydrogen atom, is attracted to the very delta negative oxygen atom on the adjacent water molecule. And it's attracted particularly to lone pairs of electrons on that oxygen atom. And in fact, that, that attraction becomes so formal that the bond angle between the oxygen atom on the water molecule that the hydrogen atom is in to the hydrogen, to the oxygen on the next molecule, is linear. The same happens in molecules with the nitrogen to hydrogen bond, like ammonia, or with the hydrogen to fluorine bond, like hydrogen fluoride. The resulting hydrogen bond system will be linear. That's something that you, you need to make sure you're representing clearly when you're drawing diagrams that show hydrogen bonding. Make sure you're showing that linearity There shouldn't be an angle in the bond between the hydrogen and the two oxygens. It should be 180 degrees. And your examiners, or whoever's marking your assignments, may well be looking for that and and giving marks for understanding that. So just to illustrate how strong hydrogen bonding is, let's compare H2O and H2S. So oxygen is a group 6 atom, sulfur is a bigger group 6 atom. So we're making an analogous comparison. Because the sulfur isn't anywhere near as electronegative as the oxygen, so we don't see hydrogen bonding in H2S. Now normally we would expect to see in analogous compounds that the heavier, the bigger molecule would have a higher melting point and boiling point. But you're probably aware that H2S, which would be the which is the heavier molecule, H2S is a gas. It's that pungent, eggy-smelling gas that we sometimes smell in experiments. 
H2O, the lighter molecule, is of course water. You've got to get that to the temperature of a boiling kettle before you, before that's becoming a gas. It's not even close to being a gas at room temperature. That difference is all down to the hydrogen bonding that exists between water molecules, whereas H2S, hydrogen sulfide, has dipole-dipole interactions between its molecules, which are clearly nowhere near as strong because much less energy has been required to turn that into a gas. It's a gas at a much lower temperature than water. Okay, let's have a quick summary of what we've talked about today. So we talked about what a dipole moment is. We talked about the relative attraction strengths of the intermolecular forces, van der Waals forces being the weakest, dipole-dipole interactions being considerably stronger, and then hydrogen bonding, the very specialized bonding, being very much stronger still. We talked about van der Waals forces existing between all atoms and molecules, whereas dipole-dipole and hydrogen bonding, there must be a covalent bonds in place. And we also mentioned that hydrogen bonding is always linear and only exists where the hydrogen is covalently bonded to oxygen or fluorine or nitrogen. I hope this episode has been useful to you. If it has, please make sure you tell your friends about it and that you're subscribed too. If you have any questions about this or other topics, or you have a suggestion for another topic to cover in another episode, then please do get in touch. I'm on Instagram at Chemistry Made Simple, or you can email me too at matthew at chemistrymadesimple.net. You'll get a much quicker response if you contact me at Instagram, I have to say. So I'm looking forward to speaking to you again in the next episode. Until then, do look after yourself and goodbye.